0: So, there was a bit of homework on the on the internet. I don't suppose anybody um, went online, but Rosie sent... Oh, did you? Rosie sent an email with the homework. So, uh, please look. Next week's homework is already on. So, session two, this, the thing to do before session two is already on. Um, I thought I took it easy, actually, read Second Timothy at least three times straight through. That was easy. It used to be every day for a week. Do you remember when we did Second Peter? So um so we're going to begin then by thinking about timothy you already know some things about timothy but um tell me uh, what you know about timothy to whom the letter was written yeah he had a believing mum and grandmother how long where is he and um how long has he been there He's probably, almost certainly, in Ephesus. He's leading the church there, almost certainly. There's a possible doubt that he may have already left and gone off on a missionary journey. Um, Paul will say later in uh, Second Timothy that he sent uh, Tychicus, or Tychicus, I don't know how to pronounce it, to Ephesus. Um, so it's possible that Timothy has already gone off on a missionary journey. Um, but he's, he's been in Ephesus for about four years, uh, leading the church there. Um, it's about that long since he received his first letter from Paul. Paul wrote First Timothy about four years before this one, so AD 61-62, and then this one about 65-66. There's always debate about these letters, whether they're that year or two years later, but there's about a four-year difference. He'd been with Paul for about 10 years. Um, Um, He'd left home about 10 years earlier and travelled with Paul. And he'd ministered with Paul during his second and third missionary journeys. So sometimes we have this picture of Timothy, which is just solely taken from the description that Paul uses in his letters, which is that he's timid and that he's uh, slightly unhealthy. Paul was saying first, Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. And... um, and here, he says, um, for, uh, we've not been given a spirit of uh, timidity, mm-hmm. but of power, love, and discipline. So we have this picture of him, that he's a young man, slightly timid, and a bit unhealthy. But that did not stop him from going on a missionary journey, two missionary journeys with Paul. And it did not stop him being the successor to Paul. He's going to take over Paul's ministry, uh, because Paul knows that he's about to die. To you you exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, he he um, he was ordained by Paul and the other ministers at, uh, at elders at Antioch, um, and he ministered in at least five New Testament churches. I'm going to give you the rest. The references we won't look at them, but First Thessalonians chapter three, verse one and two. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse seventeen. And uh, Philippians, I will read to you, Philippians 2, uh, verse 19 to 22, where Paul writes, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus." But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving with his father. So this is Paul's commendation of Timothy, who he's going to send to, to Philippi to minister to them. And then in Acts 17 and 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, um, we read again that... Um, Timothy was in various places. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So Paul had discipled Timothy. I think he, almost certainly he converted him, and then he spent time with him, discipling him. And it seems as if Timothy was discipled on the road. So he took Timothy on his missionary journeys. Timothy, that means that when he was being discipled, he was constantly in the firing line with Paul. I mean, imagine that. And then think about what we think about new believers. We better not take them here. It's a little bit too, you know, maybe that's a bit too deep, that teaching. Maybe that's a bit too strong. Maybe we want to shield them a little bit from the realities of the Christian life. But Paul never did that. He took Timothy straight into the fire, actually. Um, um, at the end of this letter, um, uh, at, at the end of his fourth missionary journey, Paul is imprisoned again in Rome, and um, he writes to Timothy uh, from um, there, this second letter, um, what does he write for, ostensibly? In the letter, uh, there are specific reasons that he, or specific things that he says to Timothy at the end of the letter, in chapter 4. Did you see what, um, what they were? Yeah, he writes those things, but he's, in, in chapter 4, verse 9, he's going to say something very human Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, who loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, only Lucas with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas and with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Um, and then verse 21, um, make every effort to come before winter. Make every effort to come before winter. Um, so we can, in a little while, we'll have a think about what Paul is doing and what it's like for him where he is writing. But, but first of all, we're, what we're trying to do is to build up a picture of Timothy. I said this morning, I wish I had put on the homework for this week to do a character study of Timothy. Mm-hmm. You just go to a concordance and look up his name and then look at all the references in Scripture about him because he is an amazing young man. Mm -hmm. And uh, his um, discipleship by Paul is really a wonderful picture, I think, of how we could be discipling people um, as we go. Um, In Philippians, Paul said, I have no one like him who is like-minded. I have no one like him. Now, when you think that, that Timothy is probably 15 to 20 years younger than Paul, they're not in any way contemporaries. Uh, but Paul took him under his wing and, and decided that he would disciple Timothy. And, um, and he gave him this amazing insight into the way mature Christians live, those with a passion for Jesus. Paul is the one who wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 imitate me as I imitate Christ and Timothy would see that um, as he went around um, in his first letter he describes I think what which is the highest accolade really that that Paul could make for anyone first Timothy chapter 6 verse 11 but flee from these things you man of God Paul called Timothy a man of God can you imagine I mean <laughs> To be called that by Paul, Sorry, First that? Timothy six verse eleven, um, and I suppose all of that really, all of those scriptures. Paul wrote four letters from uh, prison in uh, when he was first imprisoned in Rome, and all of them mentioned Timothy being with him. So this is this is not a timid. Uh, well maybe he is timid maybe he is a bit unhealthy in his physical body but this is by no means a person who is afraid and ashamed so it's all the more striking that paul will say to him do not be ashamed of me or of our lord and so really it's not that that timothy was ashamed He'd been going around with Paul all the time. He'd been ministering in churches. He'd, had, you know, he'd been kicked out of towns with Paul. He'd, he'd had to go from um, Thessalonica to Berea when Paul was sent down the, over the wall in a basket. Timothy saw all of that. So Paul doesn't, he doesn't think that he is ashamed and afraid. Yet he says to him, do not be ashamed of me. And I think that's really interesting. Yes, I think he is. Yeah, I think he is. So, for me anyway, at least, when I was thinking about this and thinking about what this ministry is about and about you guys, actually, because you're not ashamed. You're not ashamed and you're not afraid, generally. And so you could think, you could read this first chapter and think, well, this is not for me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, I'm already speaking the gospel and and I'm not afraid. But... Why did Paul write this to Timothy, to someone who he knew wasn't ashamed? What did God know that he wanted Timothy to know? And what does he know that he wants us to know? People who are already set on the gospel. Almost everyone in this room, obviously, I don't know everybody's daily life. But I know that if you can, you you speak the gospel. And I know that you pray, and that you would boldly stand for Christ, and are. And God knows that. So, why was he? Why would he want to say to us, "Don't be ashamed and afraid"? So, really, that's the. Uh, yeah, that was one of the things that struck me, um, because that's what Desiring Truth is all about. Actually, this ministry is about. Um, us together building each other up in our most holy faith. That's what Jude will say. Build one another up in your most holy faith. And, and that includes the encouragement to not be ashamed and not be afraid. God will say to, uh, through Moses to Joshua, be strong and courageous. That's to a man who wanted to go into the promised land 40 years before. That's not to a man who's shrunk back. That's to a man who's been with Moses and who, who has been willing to stand with Moses and would have been willing to go into the promised land. So God's words to people to be strong, to have wisdom, to not be afraid, don't be ashamed, they're not given to people who are like that. They're given to people who are, have already decided to follow God. And so, yeah, that interests me. Why, why is that? And, um, and why is it that Paul wrote this letter at this time to Timothy? Uh, what did he know? What did God know about what Timothy would have to face? And what does he know about what we're about to face as we go in? Um, hmm? Yeah, I think persecution. Um, persecution for the church as a whole, but certainly for Timothy as an individual. Um Paul writes to... What would you say his letter gave to Timothy? I mean, if you just had to... What was he trying to do for Timothy? Encourage him. Encourage him. One, that's one big word. He was trying to encourage him and... Prepare him, strengthen him, don't you think? He, was, he wanted to strengthen him and encourage him. And, and straight away, I think to myself, well, Paul was writing the words of God. And he his... his purpose was to strengthen and encourage Timothy, that must mean that the word of God actually does strengthen and encourage us, which must also mean that when we're trying to strengthen and encourage one another we really surely should be doing that with the actual word of God Mm -hmm. you know, I mean how many times I met with someone just recently and um, she's going through a lot of trouble and she's getting together with other people who've gone through the same trouble as her and that, that's good in some ways because you can relate to one another. But if you're not sharing God's word with one another, then actually ultimately what you're doing is all descending into one lower and lower and lower pit because you can't help me with your words. I don't know how many times I've written in cards to, to people that I have known who've lost children or who've lost a partner, their spouse or whatever, you know, siblings or friends and I've said I, I don't have any words because that, you don't have words for that and that's the reality of our lives as Christians only God's word strengthens and encourages and only God's word can get us into the, those places where we can say I am not ashamed of the gospel even when we know what it's going to cost us Um, so that was another thing that God's word actually does strengthen and encourage us and uh, we are to use it with one another and with the people who are around us Um, what do you know about the times that, that Paul was writing in what was happening in the Roman Empire at that time do you know Nero, he was the emperor so what was happening under Nero lots of persecution why was that coming in why was the persecution? What started it and why was it continuing? Yeah,
1: they saw as a threat.
0: Yeah, they saw Christianity as a threat, but particularly Nero. Nero was um, mad. mad. And, um, and he was losing his grip on the empire he and he needed a scapegoat. Yes. And the easiest scapegoat were the Christians because they were not accepted by anybody um, so his his way of turning the attention away from his own ineptitude was to persecute Christians. That was the background of this um, of this letter. And so he, um, with Rome in an uproar, he imprisoned and executed Christians. He used them as scapegoats for his own troubles. Um, Paul's in prison when he writes this letter and he was in prison when he wrote 1 Timothy. What's the difference in those two letters? What were his conditions under his first imprisonment compared to his conditions in this one? He was he was under house. House arrest. Yeah, he was in, under house arrest on the first one. He was allowed visitors. He was allowed visitors. What else? In the second one, it was horrible. He was in a dungeon. Yeah. He yeah in the second one he was chained between uh, two soldiers maybe not but he was in a dark damp uh, cellar Mm -hmm. Um, in the first one he was in under house arrest he could come and go a little bit he had visitors coming to him he could have conversation he had opportunities to witness in his second imprisonment almost certainly he had no opportunities or very little to witness to the gospel he was alone. He didn't have friends to minister to him, which he had in his first imprisonment. Um, it was dark and desperate, and he knew he knew his death was coming, his physical death was coming. In the first imprisonment, he knew it was possible he might die, but he wrote to the Philippians, for example. Uh, actually, it doesn't make it matter much to me whether I live or die for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain but i think actually for your benefit i'm going to stay on mm. and remain he had this sense that he wouldn't be executed then but 4 years later he says the time of his departure draws nigh and he uses that same word the word for departure is exodus and he uses the same word for his own departure that he used for that that it was used for jesus exodus or his departure on his um, death on the cross, on his crucifixion. Interesting. Paul viewed his death in the same way as he viewed the death of Christ, and that is that it would be an exodus. It was a movement from out of the body that was holding him in slavery into the reality of the freedom in the fullness of Christ. Um he understood some things about what he was leaving for Timothy. He knew that Timothy would, be, uh, would face a lot of difficulty when he left. You can see that in, his, in the way that he writes the letter. In um, Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 23, we know that Timothy was actually imprisoned for his faith because Hebrews 13 uh, tells us, whoever wrote Hebrews says, that Timothy has just been released Hebrews 13, sorry, let me find it. Hebrews 13, uh, verse 23. Uh, Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom if he comes soon, I will see you. So um, Timothy was was imprisoned for his faith and for his ministry. Um, so Paul knew that... Um, that Timothy taking up the mantle of Paul would actually suffer the same things that Paul suffered and not just from outside but also from inside because Timothy would have to fight heresy within the church as well as persecution from outside and Paul writes about both actually in this letter we you know it was interesting to me that we did this directly after the enemy within which was second peter because mm-hmm. they're basically uh, Peter was talking about the enemy inside the church, and Paul will write to Peter, uh, to Timothy in this letter and say, avoid such men as these, men who hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. That's chapter 3. Um, so, um, so he's writing to encourage, and though hardship was going to come from different angles for different reasons, uh, Paul wanted Timothy to, c- to continue in those things he'd learned. Um, where had he got the first understanding of Scripture? You said it, Debbie, already. From his family, yeah. He got it from his mother and his grandmother. Um, and, um, and Paul wants him to hold on to that. What sort of faith do you think he got from his mother and his grandmother? do you think they preached the gospel to him or do you think it was the Hebrew scriptures that they, Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew scriptures Bible. almost certainly yeah because the, uh, I think it's in Acts it talks about his her mother being um, from Israel and, or an Israelite and his father being a Greek so there's, there's this sense that he got the Hebrew scriptures from his mother and grandmother um, and uh, the rest of it he got from Paul who converted him I think just before we move off of Timothy, one of the most amazing things is that in the first letter that Paul wrote, he urged Timothy to fight the good fight, fight the good fight of faith. I think that's 1 Timothy 1 and chapter 6. He talks about fighting that good fight. And then in this letter, Timoth- he writes to Timothy that he, Paul, had fought the good fight. So again, even in the end, even right up until his death, he's saying to Timothy, what I'm calling you to is what I have lived. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm not calling you to anything that I haven't already done. That's discipleship that's that's what we're supposed to be about we're supposed to be about encouraging one another strengthening one another sharing the word of god together sharing prayer sharing the experience of christian living together and that has to include the hardships and the the joy and the peace and so when P- paul says in um, chapter 3 avoid such men of these who hold to a form of godliness but deny its power you know we need to be thinking about those people who are professing believers inside the church, who hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. And we have to remember to avoid those people because they give a misrepresentation of the gospel and they malign Jesus. And we are now in days where that is happening wholesale in the church. Um, In one way or another, that's happening. Um, when you read the letter, which you've done three times this week at least, what's Paul's kind of greatest concern in the letter? I mean, it's obviously not for himself. What's his greatest concern, do you think? Yeah, why? Continue yeah, continue the work. Why is that? I mean, yes, that's absolutely right, but to spread, yeah. to spread the gospel. Because for Paul, the only important thing was the gospel of the grace of God. I mean, in Acts chapter 20, I think it's verse 24, he says, I do not consider my life of any account except that I may fulfill the ministry that was given to me by the Lord. Now, that's a challenge to me. Yes. You know? Really, this is the whole thing about this letter. If these are the last of the last days, if we're being called to be unashamed and unafraid, if we are being called to a ministry of the gospel in some way, shape, or form, then is that ministry, is that ministry really, honestly, is it the focus, the central point of my life? And am I prepared to forego everything else in terms of that ministry? Because that's what Paul's calling Timothy to, or reminding him of the call he's already accepted. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mike.
1: it's easy to to consider that as a ministry, to meet, yeah. But the reality of it is the joy of sharing Jesus with other people and yeah. seeing them come to Christ. Yeah. It's so blanket worded like ministry can be a uh, a cover. Yeah. If
0: I'm not doing that. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. 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 And I think for Paul in this letter, I mean, Timothy, he talks about Timothy's specific gifts, um, but the ministry of the gospel is all of ours. We're all ministers of the gospel. Um, so, so the question still remains, is it the central focus of my life? Am I prepared to forego everything else?
1: If it is you will be
0: persecuted. Yes. No and it. I will have a hard time. Not just a hard time from people outside, but a hard time from people inside. Yeah. And, yeah. and not even heart not heart. even only those two things. The biggest difficulty I will have is overcoming myself. Yes. That will be the biggest yes. difficulty. Because I want to live comfortably, and I am not necessarily sure I want to live on the outside all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that I want to be thought of as a fundamental uh, you know, extremist radical. 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 I'm not sure that I want that tag on me, that reputation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to take the insults inside the church and outside the church. I'm going to have to take the mockery and the scoffing from the unbelievers... And also from within the church, I'm going to have to subdue my own desires, my own desires. You know, it's hard to keep going, isn't it? It's hard, you get tired. Yes, of course there's joy, and when you overcome that in yourself, there is tremendous joy. But it's still, I'm a human being in a human body, and I don't always want to be uncomfortable. In fact, I never want to be uncomfortable. That's the truth. And I can be apathetic and lethargic. And I can think, really, do I have to do that? And that will come more and more and more. The more my focus is on God, the more my focus is on the gospel ministry, in whatever way God has cut out for me to be a part of it, it will be harder and harder for me to actually overcome myself. And that must be true for you too. You know, because there's so many other things we could be doing that actually, most of the time, we'd enjoy a lot more. <laughs> but the apathy in the church is the
1: most difficult thing to
0: cope with. Mm. And you feel mm. ostracized mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of it, Mike, isn't it? Mm. That's part of it. And, of course, along with all of that, the overcoming of self and the the mockery and the apathy that's outside as well as inside I have to say you know I can be just as apathetic as the next person and so but when you do overcome all of that you have the enemy of course as well whispering in your ear so there is this constant fighting going on that's what we talked about last time in the in the conference you know fighting for freedom that's part of it fighting for the freedom that we know we have in Christ the freedom to have the joy and the peace and to and to lay hold of that for ourselves and to, to live an overcoming life. You know, we have to fight for that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have to fight every minute because, you know, I just think, it's okay. I'll I just it. down tools, Yeah. The other day I had
1: a, a wager, not a wager, but I mean uh, I said to Anne, how many people are you going to, to, going to witness to today? Because Romans 1 verse 16 was very much in my and, uh, and I did actually witness to five people. And then when I when I went to see her in the evening, I said, well, how have you gone? And she said, well, I've not been out. And then a chap called to look at some furnishings and his name is Paul. Yeah. <laughs> what, more, what more do you need? <laughs> Off he went. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't think I'd like to take a wager with him. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. I think a I a might have pushed <laughs> him. Yeah, just. How many people you? Exactly. Oh my goodness. Okay. So moving swiftly on. Yes. Right. Um, I'll be quiet now. No, no, don't be quiet. No, just don't bet me how many people <laughs> I'm going to bring to the Lord. Thank you, yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I think all of these things as I said about doing a, a, a character study of Timothy, I think it would be really good to do. Paul, we always talk about Paul. He's an amazing man of God and. And everybody knows about him. But Timothy's just one of those guys, you know, you, you've kind of got him in a slot and you think you know him, but actually when you do the study, you don't know him. I mean, his, his is an amazing story too, and an amazing life lived for God. And um, I think one of the things that that did for me when I looked at it was that it helped me to understand that God calls me, that he calls all of us to the same sort of amazing ministry that he called Timothy. You know, I had Paul sort of up there, just underneath Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, if you'd ask me, who did I want to be in scripture, I would say, very often I'd say Paul before I thought of saying Jesus, because I I can never be Jesus. But, you know, I'd love to be like Paul. But, you know, actually, when you read about these people, as I say, when I read about Timothy, I thought, you know, I wouldn't have minded being Timothy. And actually, perhaps I could have been Timothy. He's more attainable perhaps mm. And very likeable, very likeable when you read about yeah. him yeah. and his faithfulness. And Do we know what happened to him? Uh, I think he probably was executed yeah. at some stage, but I don't know, I don't know. So if you, had to, if you were looking at the letter just as it is, four chapters, mm-hmm. and you were saying Paul was kind of issuing or reiterating a call on Timothy's life, um, not in specifics of gospel ministry, but in, in how he had to actually live. Could you give two words to it? It's a call to something and something, not unafraid and unashamed. So it's a call to, to live his life in a certain way. Holy. Yeah, holy, definitely. Focus on, God. Focus on God. So actually taking that, Caroline, what I think that I saw in there, that it's a call to separation. He has to separate himself. From the things that will take him away from his focus on God, so uh, separate himself from from family, from earthly pleasures, from um, even from himself, almost as i 've said, separate himself from the distractions of his life. In fact, Paul will say to him, "Flee from uh, uh, earthly lusts. I think that 's in his first letter. Yeah, and I actually think it may be that Paul is calling him to celibacy, to, to not be married. I'm not sure about that, but I think it's possible that he's calling him to that. But definitely to a call, a call to separation, which actually is a call to holiness, yes. because holiness is being separated for God. Um, so, so a call to separation, and another word I had. Can you think of another word? In light of the hardships that he's going to face. Faithfulness, steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. I had endurance. A call to endurance and separation. That, um, yeah. And a call to live unafraid and unashamed. That you can take directly out of the scripture itself. Um, a call to fulfill the Great Commission, which all of us have. So this call, that's what I meant, I suppose. This is a call on each one of us it's a call to gospel ministry a call to the whole of the gospel paul says in um, i think when he's writing or when he gathers, gathers the um, elders together you know when he calls them together at Miletus and he says i did not shrink from from teaching you basically the whole counsel of god mm-hmm. that's what he called the gospel the whole counsel of god because what is the gospel yeah, it's good news, but but what is the gospel? When it's in its entirety, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ or the gospel of the grace of God. It's the gospel of the grace of God, and the grace of God is the whole of our Christian life. Mm. It's how we come to the Lord. It's how we work for the Lord. It's It's how we'll end up with the Lord. It's everything he does with us, to us, through us in our life. So for Paul, the gospel wasn't just for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was that, but it wasn't only that. It was the whole of, of the Christian life. And really, um, to be in the ministry of the gospel, I mean, that's what our call is. Every part of your life is called to the gospel ministry. When you became a believer, you became a part of the gospel ministry. You may have a different part, different role in that ministry to me, but you have a part in that ministry. you received the great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Teaching them to do all that I commanded you. That's a commission to each of us. You received a call to contend earnestly for the faith, Jude will say, that was once for all laid down to the saints. You received a call to build yourselves up on your most holy faith. You received a call to, um, to snatch people from the fire, Jude will say. That's your call and my call. And that scares me. <laughs> that scares me. It scares me that I'm to put every other thing aside and answer that call on my life. And it scares me to think that I've already said yes to it. When you believed in the Lord Jesus, you said yes to that call. And insofar as, you, as we understand it and, and we decide to go along with it, our lives will witness to the Lord and his grace. His amazing grace that is sufficient even for people like me. Um, we've said that Paul was in Ephesus when um, he uh, re- uh, Timothy was in Ephesus. Sorry, when um, he received this letter, I can't imagine what he felt like when he re- when he read it. I mean, I just yeah. Um, and when Paul, in chapter 3, says, know this, that in the last days difficult times will come, times of stress, um, uh, what again struck me mostly was that, that God knew that those times would come. So I was thinking about that and me. God, I mean, Paul introduces himself to Timothy as the apostle of Jesus Christ. Why does he have to do that to Timothy? He's been walking with him and, and teaching him. Timothy knows he's an apostle. So it was almost, all of a sudden, I could see that God was, through Paul, saying this letter's going to go not just to Timothy mm-hmm. or the church that he's ministering to. It's going to go on and on and on. Whether Paul understood that or not, I don't know. But I understood that this is a letter to me from the apostle Paul, mm-hmm. from God through the apostle Paul to me. Because
1: he said I was one born out of time. Yes. Because
0: he was not an Exactly. The other yes, Yes, and I think that's a picture actually of Israel in the last days, that Paul was brought to the Lord suddenly, cataclysmically, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you think of the end time, when Jesus comes back the second time, not for his church, but for his people Israel, they are going to look upon him who he has pierced, and more who they pierced, more in an instant I don't know that. That's just my thinking. That that maybe Israel, the nation of Israel, at the end of time, at the end of the tribulation, will come to Christ in that moment, as Paul did, because he talks about him untimely born. And I wonder if he's, if God is giving us a clue about how the nation will come. And they will not to. say, know
1: the Lord. Yeah. Because they. You will all know, know him.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just as Paul knew him straight away. Lord, Lord. Um, So anyway, that's all by the by. Um, So God knew that the hard times would come. He knew that you and I living in these last of the last days would face difficult times. He knew that we would struggle to overcome ourselves, that we would struggle to focus on the Lord, that we would struggle with gospel ministry because it's hard and relentless and because there's so much opposition. And so he wrote this letter to us. To tell us all that he'd already prepared, and um, yeah, and the, in the first chapter he starts to talk to Timothy about how he's already prepared Timothy for the work that he's calling him to do. Um, so I, I've said really that he, Paul, reminds Timothy of the foundation that's already been laid in his life. Um, so yeah. What, what's the foundation consist of? If you just read through 2 Timothy chapter 1, why don't we read, uh, just go read 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just read a few verses. I, mean, I just imagine somebody holding on to that letter. Definitely. And it the theme, re-read and re-read, and Definitely. God, and Definitely. Just you know,
1: remind themselves that,
0: you know, this is, this is my purpose. Yeah. This is what I did Absolutely. But I imagine, you know,
1: taking out
0: the mm. it was on. Oh, Parchment, probably, know. yeah, scrolls. Mm, definitely. And, but,
1: but the amazing thing is it's a legacy for us. Yeah. You
0: know, it's yeah. Just, it's just, it's yeah. just And one thing I've always thought, I mean, I, you know, God moved me from Japan where I had my nice bubble of Christianity and where I, it was easy. I was just in this bubble. Everybody was a Christian. We all loved God. We all loved the word. And then he brought me back here. And so I had to leave all the people who had been really instrumental in my growth in in the Lord. And then when I came back here and uh, met various people, inevitably they were taken away. Um, Helen Molden, who some of you know, was very instrumental in my life. And she died. You know, And I think... All of these things are how the Lord works to enable us to rely only on him. Yes. And I, so fo- that's, it's following what you're saying about Timothy. I'm sure he was bereft, but by the time Paul went, he was ready. Yes, and he was ready. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And that's such a great assurance, isn't yes. it? That, that when these people go, that we do rely on that we do look up to, um, you know, great men and women of God that we might listen to, or when they go, we're ready. We're ready for it.
1: Perhaps you're preparing um, to pull back,
0: yeah. To pass the Yeah, I think definitely, yeah, definitely. And again, Simon, that's what we need to be doing, isn't it? Who are we going to pass on to mm-hmm. when we go? So Second Timothy chapter 1, just, uh, we'll read through the chapter. Um, Yeah, a few verses each.
1: Who I am appointed a preacher, an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I believe and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing, that good thing which committed to you too, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them are by Jesus and heaven-chained. Mainly, Lord, grant mercy to the household and that's the first of you often are in the question which was obviously my chains. Mm-hmm. When he was
0: Thank you. Okay, so we're not gonna actually we're not gonna go beyond verse seven really and not even fully look at those verses tonight. But if you had to say what the foundation was, I think there are four things that Paul um, reminds Timothy of Um, his foundation and um, I'll start with the first one because you possibly won't get the first one I think the first one is what I've called family training so his his mother and his grandmother taught him the scriptures and so I was thinking about that because I didn't have grow up in a family like that I had a good family but I didn't grow up in a believing family or in any way of looking at the Bible family. and um, So I was thinking about family training. If that's the foundation we need for Christian life and service, if you didn't grow up in a family that knew the Lord, where would you get your training from? Your initial training? Yeah, the family of God. The family of God. Which is us. We're the family of God. So when we're thinking about discipleship and, and new believers and bringing people to know the Lord... It's imperative that we understand that as a family, we are to train up these people in the Lord. There's nothing arrogant about that or condescending. It's just what you do for a child. You teach them how to eat with a spoon and walk and not bump into things and not put their fingers in the sockets and all of that. You teach children that. That's the family training. And Timothy had that because he had the scriptures from an early age. And then uh, when he was with Paul, he went with Paul and was trained up in the way. So family training. So the second thing, I think, is God's gifting, um, that God gifted him and called him. So either way around, God's call and his gift, or his gift and his call. Uh, his, um, his protection, God's protection of Timothy. God, what has been entrusted you to you, and to, uh, Paul saying, I am convinced that he is able to guard what we have entrusted to him um, and finally fellowship so that's five actually but i put gift and calling together so god's okay. gift and calling yeah. yes training at home so family training god's call and gift on his so god's gifting and calling his god's protection of him and fellowship which he talks about right at the end when he talks about two people who have left him and honest for us who searched him out and came to him to help him what is fellowship what's that about it's about us sharing in the hard times and the good it's about us being aware of what's going on and ready to step in and help when uh, things are not good um but as i say we're not going to get to that we're going to really start with just the first couple of verses um paul identifies himself as the apostle as i've said um timothy wouldn't have needed that but um Later on, the much later audience probably did. Um, in his first letter to Timothy, Paul said his apostleship was by the command of God. Mm-hmm. If you look um, at the first, first Timothy chapter one verse one, according to the commandment, he says of God, um, our Savior and of Christ Jesus. And now in this letter, he says, according to the will of God, I am an apostle. Um, uh, apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he's an apostle by the commandment of God and by the will of God. And the two are synonymous. And that's really interesting, don't you think? That God's will is relayed to us in his commandment, in his word. And his word is his will. Mm-hmm. So when people say that you can know the will of God outside of the word of God, it's just it's what my mother-in-law used to say, Tommy Rock Bilge. It's impossible. It's not possible because God's made his will known in his word, and his word is his will. If you want to know God's will for your love, where will you find it? In his word. In his word. And so Paul, I mean... I, just in his introduction, I think he makes that clear. So today, in our day, when the Bible is being kicked out and when we're told we can hear from God and we can know God is with us and we can sense his presence and we can lay on the floor and ask for him to come down in a pillar of fire, you know, our answer to that is actually I don't think so. Mm-hmm. God has revealed himself in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter one tells us that. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3, that in the last days God spoke, in the earlier days he spoke in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. Isn't it
1: interesting, can I just say, that Mm. Paul never mentions that fact, does he? I mean, he's a Pharisee above the Pharisees, same by Gamaliel, he never mentions any of that, it's all Christ. Exactly, all about
0: Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Even in his introduction, where you could forgive him having a little bit of a... You know, mm. but no, he doesn't. So, um, yeah. So just a, you know, his will is his word, and his word is his will, same thing. And he's an apostle by those things. And he says it's according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. What is the promise of life in Christ Jesus? The
1: everlasting
0: life, mm. the eternal life. Yeah, eternal life. Fulfilled, fulfilled life, fulfilled life. How does Jesus describe eternal life? In John chapter 10, I came that you had life and life abundant, abundant life. But when we think about eternal life and when we think about God, we tend to think about God and eternal life as after. It's like there. Whether we look up or, or beyond, it's always there. And God is there. And when I go through the door called death, he'll be there. But Paul never thought that way. Go ahead. The
1: invincible
0: today that's right and the promise of life is life now today today so for paul when he's thinking about his his departure his death he's he knows he will not face that alone he's not going to walk through the door of death alone he's going to walk through it with the lord who's going to be here on this side and across the other side and in the doorway he's he's Totally and utterly convinced that the promise of life in Christ Jesus is now and then and forever. And he lives his whole life accordingly. And really, I mean, honestly, I think we could spend all day in this verse because I don't live my life that way. I don't. When I think about it, I want to and I try to and I and I talk to myself about practising the presence of God and understanding that it's now and not just... And I know that's true and some days I experience it but mostly I forget and I think about when I go to be with God, when I see God, when I'm like him in some time in the future. I know he's with me now but do I live actually in the in the practical experiential presence of God now and if I did what difference would that make to my life what difference would it make to my ministry what difference would it make to my anxiety or my fear or my shame or any of those things see that's what Paul's saying he's setting up even in his introduction before he gets to do not be ashamed he's saying we have the promise of life this life this abundant eternal life that's now before he's going to call Timothy to anything, just like Peter would say, these precious and magnificent promises, now lay hold of them. Paul will say, we have this abundant life in Christ. Um, and knowing all of that, he's able to say totally freely to Timothy, grace and peace be with you. Doesn't he say that? He says, um, mercy. grace, mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, do you say that to people? I mean, honestly, wouldn't you feel a bit arrogant? <laughs> oh, Caroline, God's sending you grace and peace and mercy. It's like, who am I to say that? Who am I to say that? But Paul didn't think that. because th- that No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Can I live in that understanding that it's not arrogant, it's that the reality. Exactly. Yes, it's exactly. And that I am but to no, speak grace mean, and peace to you. Yeah. Yeah. Other yeah. Yes. We yeah. Know it's not no. But no. just some people used to that's Exactly. Exactly. That a say, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's a whole not nother subject. Story, <laughs> yeah. But I, I suppose <laughs> I was just thinking at the door as people walked out mm. of the church for itself. Oh, right, yeah. You yeah. Said to me, Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus Christ our Lord I say, Oh my goodness, thank you. Yeah. I the there you and go. go. That's, that's it. That's it. And so really, that's my point. We should be saying that to one another. We should be reminding each other of the grace and the mercy and the peace of God that's in Christ Jesus. And that he's in you and he's in me. And I can speak those words to you. And you can speak them to me. And and, and Paul, just no qualms. He just spoke them to Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace to you in Christ Jesus. Okay, and then... Um, Paul, who knew Timothy's weaknesses, remember, because he traveled with him, um, he is going to say to him that he gives thanks for him. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So, two things there. How were his fathers, how do they have forefathers, how do they have a clear conscience? And, and why could he I say. Okay, because he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember. So I'm not, you know, maybe, but I I think that's exactly what he's meaning, yes. Yes, I think that the righteous Jew or Israelite looked forward to the coming of Messiah and therefore went through all the ceremonial sacrifices and therefore could serve God with a clear conscience if it came from their heart. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what Paul's referring to. Now, on this side of the cross, he's saying he's doing it because he knows Messiah has come. So he's still serving God with a clear conscience because he has understood the reality of, of his salvation in Christ. And so that's the first point. But then constantly remember you in my prayers day and night, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. So this idea of Paul praying for Timothy day and night. Why do you think he's doing that? Because of his weaknesses. Because of his weaknesses. Because of his weaknesses. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. Why else why would he pray for Timothy day and night? He didn't have much else to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Maria said, so we are in agreement. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps because he knew what he was going to have to face. I think that he he knew what he was going to have to face. But I think he's, sorry,
1: I mean, No. He's putting himself in that place. Definitely. Be
0: there, yeah. So I think so. He is. I think he's got compassion for Timothy. He's got concern for him because he knows the hardships he's going to face. He knows Timothy's weaknesses, as I say. He knows his frailty. Yeah, he loves him with God's love. He looks looks, 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 upon him as a son. As a son, exactly. Yeah, we pray for our families. But who does that remind you of? Jesus. Of course. And what's the Lord Jesus doing right now? He's praying for for us. Day and night, interceding for us. Why is he praying for us day and night? (laughs) Because we're weak and frail, because he has compassion and concern for us, because he knows what we're going to face, and he knows how little we are able to face it alone. And he knows what we need. Paul knew what Timothy needed. He knew Timothy because he lived with him and walked with him. And Jesus knows you. Because he's lived with you and walked with you, and he knows exactly what to pray for, when to pray. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just. The psalmist says that he will answer us before we pray. Before we pray, yeah, because he knows. So, I mean, just that whole thing that Paul, who, who is the one who said, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ," is actually saying to Timothy, "I pray for you day and night." And that is an imitation yes. of what Christ is doing right now. Mm. If you
1: don't have this witness in yourself, you are none of his. Yes. Unfortunately, because he has no communication with you, unless his spirit is within you. Yeah. It's a frightening um, statement.
0: It is, but it's but I think what was more concerning to me, Mike, was the fact that... Uh, Paul prayed like that for Timothy out of genuine love and concern for him. And I'm I'm forced to ask myself, how many of my fellow believers do I pray like that for? And do I pray day and night? And I'll have to say, no, I don't. I don't pray day and night for you. I don't. I know, oh, thank you. Yes. In time of need, maybe, if I knew a particular need, so I think that this is what, what God is trying to sh- I mean that's what I felt He showed me through these few verses, that Jesus' work didn't He said on the cross it is finished." T- telestai paid in full. It is finished. But his work wasn't finished because he's still interceding for us. He's still praying for us. The Holy Spirit is still praying for us with groans too deep to utter. So that work of prayer is still going on. And it is perfect because he knows exactly what we need when we need it.
1: I know. It's
0: a big thing to take on that's in it. There. And think about it. He's preparing Timothy. It's his final last message to Timothy. This is what I know you're going to have to face. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. So I want to remind you of everything that's happening behind the scenes so that you will be confident as he was. I'm convinced in him who are, in whom I have believed. So it's this this understanding. And I think that for us, if we're going out to face... This world, in this ministry, we have to be absolutely confident of the one in whom we have believed, and we have to be sure that he is praying for us and that our weakness is not news to him. He knows it. It is wonderful. And so he's praying for us and he's interceding for us, and Jesus Christ is also our advocate. What's an advocate? yeah he pleads for us. Why does he have to plead for us for his father, who's already our father? Why does he have to do that? <laughs> I don't think he prays intercedes because of our sin because that's paid for and done and dusted Well, think about the the idea of advocacy. He speaks for us. Why would he have to speak for us to God? Well, no, because I think that's the prayer and intercession, all of that. That's praying for our weakness. Oh, poor Anne, look at her. She's going to struggle with this, so we're going to pray up a storm for her so she can have the strength and the confidence to go through. But the the advocacy is slightly different. Maybe, but why would he have to do that? Because the enemy is always accusing. Because the accuser of the brethren accuses the brethren day and night. And our advocate stands and says, but that one's mine and that one's mine and that one's mine. And so all of the the accusations of Satan are battered away by the Lord Jesus who stands at the right hand of the throne of God. So just think about that. I mean... He's praying for us day and night. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we're facing. He knows our personalities. He knows knows everything. He knows the temptations that are going to trip us up. He knows the trials that are going to be too much for us. Actually, every trial is too much for us. But he knows all of those things. And he's praying all the time. He's praying, you know, with his father to his father. And he is also, he knows what the enemy is bringing at us. And he is already preparing and speaking for us. At the throne of God. What else would you need? Mm. Where, where did you get then the word use the, the word advocate? I don't know, just because I took the interceding for us, mm. praying for us. There is a... right. yeah. 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 Hebrews yeah. Hebrews talks yeah. about him being our advocate. Yeah. Oh. Um but the Hebrews seven twenty-five says that he's interceding for us. Mm. Oh, 1 John 2. oh one John one, thank you. One John two one. He is our advocate. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. No. <laughs>
1: it? Lord, right? Yes, it yeah. is, exactly. It is Satan, accuser, mm. Jesus, who is yes. the defending counsel. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And God, who is the judge. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly
0: it. And I think that's the picture that's painted for us.
1: Mm. My son's a lawyer, and he will not talk to me about anything that he's doing. And so, Lord Jesus will not talk critical way in any way about oh, I see. anything okay. that we're doing mm-hmm. the Father. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's our
0: advocate. He's the one who's yeah. sta- standing in our place. And yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. Yes. And the thing to remember is almost 99% of the time I would say Satan's accusations are true about you. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think we just have to say, I know, okay, that's true. Uh, yeah, because... Not all the time, because he'll come with you know with lies about about various things and he'll try and make us think that what we're feeling is actually wrong yeah. when that's not, but I think when he when he brings something sin back to mind, it's true, you did it, you yeah. thought it, yeah. you know, and so it's best just to say that thank God for Jesus, thank God for Jesus, yeah. I know I did that, and and thank you, Lord, that you've already forgiven me for that, that I've confessed that already, and that you've paid that price, and you've already forgiven me. I mean, if I could tell you the number of things that keep coming back to me, you know, that I regret so bitterly, and just over and over, the enemy will bring it back and remind me of how I wasn't as I should have been, or how I did something I shouldn't have done, and if I couldn't stand on the word that tells me my sins are covered by the blood of Jesus, that I am totally and utterly forgiven in the beloved, that I am a redeemed child of God, that it's all paid for, I don't know what I'd do. And so I feel like that that's what Jesus is doing when he is there at the throne of God. He is batting away the accusations of the enemy and reminding me, actually, to do the same thing. Um, so um, Timothy was trained by his father. Um, he, uh, sorry, his mother and his um, his grandmother. And then, just before we finish, we'll just look at the next thing that um, Paul says. Um, uh, For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. And then he'll go on to say, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And I was thinking about this idea of laying on of hands and whether that's possible for us to do that and pass on a spiritual gift now. So what do you think about that? It
1: says, do, not lay hands.
0: do not be too quick to lay hands on yeah with people.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I think two things. I think that first of all, there was a lot happened in the early church in the Book of Acts that doesn't that wasn't carried forward. So, for example, Peter and the apostles had the the keys to the kingdom, and um, when Jesus talks about that, I think what he means is that they unlocked the doors to take the gospel into Jerusalem, Judea, mm-hmm. Samaria, and then out into the world. And you can trace that through the Book of Acts up to chapter ten. So. Uh, the, the disciples are preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. Then they take it out into Judea. Then, do you remember, they go to Samaria. There's a magician in Samaria, and they're sent there. They, they're sent to lay hands and to bring the Holy Spirit there. And then Peter is sent to Cornelius. He has the dream, Cornelius being the Gentile world. So I think you can definitely trace that. I'm not sure that you can take that that happened in Acts and transplant it into our day. So, for example, I'm not sure. Well, definitely, you cannot be an apostle with a capital A. Now, Mm -hmm. impossible, Um, because the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. If it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, how can we have more apostles? Because you'd be having going up the wall rather than in the foundation. So that's one thing. And secondly, I think that the passing of the Holy Spirit... By the time the gospel was taken, the, the Holy Spirit was given into the Gentile world. Cornelius being the first example, that was the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the world. I do not believe that any one of us can lay hands on another person and impart the Holy Spirit. You cannot do that. Only God can give the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Only God can give the Spirit. And if that's true, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. First Corinthians 12 verse 7 mm-hmm. says that, um, says that. I can't remember exactly how it says it, but it says that. Yeah, I had a conversation with my friend about that. Was going on about it. Yeah. And I said I'd actually walked out of a, of a seminar because they were trying to, people were trying to force others to seeking Yeah, get the gift of prophecy yeah yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and I thought and I said so no you can't yeah no. I think the the um, in fact we'll go there 1st Corinthians 12 verse 7 1st um, Corinthians chapter 12 um, well actually verse 4 we'll start in verse 4 now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So there's this sense here that, um, that, uh, where are we? Sorry, verse 4. Um, it's the Spirit who who gives the gifts. He's the one who decides which gifts you have. It's the Lord who gives the type of ministry you have within the body. There are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects. It's God who brings the results of your ministry. So there's the Holy Spirit giving the gift. There's the Lord giving you the area of service, which is what ministry means, area of service. And there's the Father who brings about the results of that. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that I'm against the laying on of hands, generally. Because I think that there is a case that can be made for um, praying for one another. Yes. And particularly for eldership to pray for younger believers. If they're going out on mission, if, if they have a particular need. If they, because there is a sense of when we're together, <coughs> excuse me, we're praying for the same thing. We're asking the Lord to do what only he can do. And we're laying hands on people. There is a confidence that comes from that. Um, when godly people pray like that for God us the <coughs> uh, they do I think that's a specific I think what Rich said that would be a specific thing um, it seems to say in verse
1: 14 in Timothy, uh, uh, to guard it so not to yeah. not use it but to back exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. because it's, uh, it says guard through the Holy Spirit well yeah well. yeah
0: treasure entrusted Entrusted to you yeah yeah i think the treasure he's talking about is the word because he says retain the standard of sound words i think the gift that he's talking about for for timothy was the gift of preaching and teaching and evangelism because that's what he's going to say later in the letter but the giver of the gift is the holy spirit i think paul's commissioning of um, Timothy was a different thing he says that, it, and, and remember this is in the early days of the church really when he commissioned, mm-hmm. um, and when they laid hands on Timothy, so I'm not saying, uh, God can do anything at any time, anywhere
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm not trying to say he cannot do um, cannot use you to impart a gift but that, you know I said that that, uh,
1: that girl so the army. <coughs> yeah. well, that was garden then was it that was no, the glory for
0: himself yes Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. That's yeah. yeah. I think, oh. it, well, undoubtedly, Paul says they commissioned Timothy yeah. and uh, the, the gift he received by the laying on of his hands. Mm. So there definitely was a passing on of a gift of some description to yeah. Timothy. Um, but I suppose what I want to say is I think we need to be careful of how we tr- take that on into yeah. our time. Um, yeah, just to be careful, perhaps, of it. Okay. One thing you know, though, from, from that, from that uh, writing that Paul says is that without the Holy Spirit, you can't do anything. Without the Spirit, without the gift, you can't do anything. You just don't have the strength. If you take
1: that literally, it means you cannot so much as even open your mouth in the name of Christ without it being by the Holy Spirit.
0: Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so just to finish then, Paul's going to say, kindle afresh. We'll come back to it next week, but kindle afresh the gift of God. So what does he mean by that? Stir up. Stir up. Yeah, but there's a kindling is an idea of something. Fire, fire. Stir up the flames. Stir up the fire. Yeah, you can't give the fire to someone, and I can't. Get the fire for myself, but I can stoke up a fire that's already there. Mm-hmm. In my version, it says fan into there you go, fan into oh, flame. I love yeah, that. Yeah, 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 fan into flame. So, uh, what do you think he means? Was he trying to tell Timothy?
1: Yeah. Practice
0: Yes. Yes. You see, what he's, just, he's been telling Timothy about everything that well, he's going to tell him, about everything that God's done to prepare him and enable him. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to say, now, you better kindle that. It's like, so wait it's a minute. Do it. Yeah. yeah, do it. But also there's this sense that we have to go along with that. We have to fan into flames the passion mm-hmm. that, that we want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can grieve the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit. We have impact into the life of the Spirit in us. So we, we have our contribution to make. And and what t- uh, Paul says to Timothy is, you need to stoke up this fire. And if you don't, the fire will eventually go out. That's not about your salvation. It's about your passion for yeah. the Lord and your usefulness in ministry. Born in the fire, you can't live in the smoke. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, sometimes, it's like... I Yeah, I'm sure that's really good, but my mind is over here (laughs) and you're over there. So, yeah, anyway, you know what kindling afresh is. Keep stirring it up. Keep stirring it up. By reading the word. I was going to say that, yeah. How do you do that? How do we do that? We do that by studying the word, we do that by praying and encouraging encouraging one another. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, and being dependent on that. Yeah. Yeah. And understanding that without this, we're lost. The thing is, Paul's not talking about salvation. He's talking about passion in ministry. And if you don't have passion for ministry, this ministry of the gospel, I'm not talking about a specific ministry, I'm talking about the whole ministry we're all involved in. If there's no passion, you will be like the church became in Ephesus. You have forsaken your first love. And you will start to do things by rote, and they, they might be good things, but they won't be for love of God, and that's the thing. So, Paul's writing to Timothy: keep kindling this, keep stirring it up. His gifts are evangelism, teaching, and preaching. Keep stirring that up. Keep encouraging one another. And I suppose that's a great way to end, isn't it? That that's what God's telling us: kindle afresh. Tender fresh. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that there's so much here. Thank you, Lord, that... Um, well, just always, as always, we could go back and do the whole thing again and find all sorts of other treasures in this word. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for the treasure that you have um, given us to guard, Lord. Help us to stir up the flames of our zeal and our passion, Lord. Help us to go along with your work, Help us to decide to really focus on you and that every other thing in our life will take second place, Lord, to this, to you, and to the service of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, for every one of us here that we will be encouraged and strengthened throughout this week as we do the things we know to do and put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.